Welcome to Marketing Success with Podcast Advertising. Have you been hearing the buzz about podcast advertising, but aren't sure where to begin? Join us here as we discover how to create a positive ROI and learn the best practices and tips from companies just like yours who have experienced great results. Now here's your host, Heather Osgood. Hello and welcome to Marketing Success with Podcast Advertising. We are really excited to have Julie from Grove Collaborative on the line with us today. Julie Ziski has been with Grove Collaborative for a while. She specializes in their offline marketing projects. Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So can you start by telling us just a little bit about Grove Collaborative and exactly what your company does? Yeah, absolutely. Grove is a three-year-old e-commerce brand and retailer focused on selling natural home and personal care products. So we carry a wide range of third-party brands like Mrs. Myers and Seventh Generation and Burt's Bees. Uh, and we've also developed our own proprietary Grove Collaborative line in basically the home and personal care space. Excellent. And I feel like I see Grove Collaborative all over the place. I see it all over my Instagram feed. I know you guys have been doing a lot of influencer marketing. And I know obviously you have mentioned that you are an internet-based company, but then you obviously specialize in offline. Can you tell us just a little bit about your approach to marketing in general? Yeah, absolutely. My personal story at Grove and previous startups is really sort of the thinking of marketing, the marketing portfolio is like a pie chart and it kind of looks like Pac-Man where it's all Facebook and Instagram or paid social at large. And then a couple smaller channels that are trying to diversify, spend away from those platforms. So you aren't entirely reliant. That's kind of the case of the story with Grove as well. Um, But we do a huge amount of advertising on paid social at large and really that the company, you know, in large part was built that way. But as the company grows and we reach a maximum on certain channels, it's imperative that we diversify. So that has been what I've been tasked with here. So our offline portfolio at Grove right now consists of podcast, radio, TV, and direct mail. Um, And I found that to be sort of the suite of offline channels at previous companies that I've worked for as well, and just generally in the D2C space today. So one of the the questions that I always find interesting is the companies that consider podcast advertising online channels as opposed to offline channels. Right. Why has Grove decided to put podcasts in that category? Online versus offline, I think, feels antiquated even now because really they address different parts of the marketing funnel. So I think it's probably more accurate to think of things in terms of sort of a general, you know, awareness top of the funnel, middle funnel, bottom of the funnel. But I think the distinction between offline and online is really just primarily driven by measurement tactics. And so podcast is definitely one that is can be measured, but is harder to measure. And generally, that's the story with uh, the other channels I mentioned. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you know how long Grove Collaborative has been doing podcast advertising? Yeah, about two years. Okay, great. And do you know, I don't think that you were at the at the company at the time that they made the decision to go with podcast advertising, but you know, given the fact that you do so much um, social, what made Grove say podcasts seem like a good place for us and we want to head in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you mentioned influencer marketing earlier and the intersection between influencer and paid social is one that certainly, you know, I think even a year and a half ago was novel and new and now it's sort of the 
the known kind of default for a lot of companies. And podcasts can be a really natural extension of an influencer strategy, um, almost just influencer at scale potentially, because you are often dealing with endorsements. And we know that a customer testimonial, whether it comes from an influencer or an actual customer themselves, is a really effective peer-to-peer marketing has worked for ages. And podcast is just another way to get you know that similar message out there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it felt like a really natural extension of what was working online, just in a different medium. And again, you know, with the goal of trying to diversify your marketing spend, it felt like a safe place to play. I'm so glad to hear you say that you feel like podcasts do kind of fall in that influencer space because while they may not, you know, podcast ads may not be influencer marketing in the truest sense of the word, given the fact that they are typically endorsement ads, really they do fall in that bucket. And so it's neat to see that you were able to find the success in influencer marketing and then kind of spill that over into podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, there's so much gray area or just like shared learnings to be had, I think, from internally in a marketing team, making sure that who's running podcasts and who's running influencer are speaking to each other. And, you know, a lot of the same talking points and kind of campaign tactics can be shared across both quote unquote channels. And a lot of similarities, you know, I think to be had in terms of what types of personalities or hosts are working on podcasts that could work on influencer and vice versa. I think as the influencer landscape grows, you know, people have, you know, their own mini media empires. And so digital influencers have their own podcast. That's definitely a fruitful place to play. You can kind of extrapolate out, you know, the, the types of influencers or, you know, the niches that podcasts can fill. You can, you can be informed from influencer. So how would you categorize yourself as a podcast ad buyer? I feel like there are certainly different types of approaches to podcast ad buying. Some companies really like to work directly with the advertisers. Some companies prefer to work with agencies to do their podcast ad buying. Some advertisers like to buy lots of shows. Some like to buy a few. So can you tell us just a little bit about what your approach to podcast ad buying has been? I mean, my approach generally has just been learned by doing. I've been doing podcast advertising for a little over three years. And so definitely started out doing it all myself and working directly with the networks and even with, in some cases, individual shows. And I've worked actually with all three of the main podcast agencies out there. So I feel like I've tried it all, I would say. (laughs) Um, I think that my personal preference is definitely to work with an agency. It can absolutely be done in-house. It's just dependent on the bandwidth of the team. And it, it is, it's a, a bit high touch, just like I think a lot of other channels where you're dealing with actual people. Um, the best, I think you see the best success when you give podcast hosts and the endorsements themselves some TLC. And so making sure you have the time to have an onboarding call with the host and make sure it's a personal experience as much as possible so they can best bring your brand to life is really where you see the best reads come through. So I think it's really dependent upon bandwidth, but you can do it any which way. I think um, so agency has been my preference. I think generally just approaching it as a portfolio. So having a variety of shows and there are some kind of having, you know, 80% of your spend be really your core efficient shows and properties that can run the gamut in terms of small to large. Generally, I've seen the, the majority will be smaller shows that have really loyal followings and can just be di- like, you know, sort of an always on strategy of driving consistent performance and then having, you know, 
20% of your portfolio be some test shows. And again, those can be small to large. Generally, I think the larger shows always fall into that test category until, of course, they've proven themselves just because the landscape has gotten much more crowded and therefore much more expensive, wanting to be really thoughtful about how we scale. So I think that the we see a lot of potential with podcast in a variety of different ways and are always trying to grow it as a channel, but making sure we do so in a, a thoughtful way. So we aren't you know going from zero to 60. But the goal is always to have more shows in the in the rotation. That's great to hear. And when you look at kind of testing out shows, especially those larger shows, are there a certain, I guess, are there certain tactics that you take to test shows to see if they are going to be successful? Is it like the number of ads that that you're going to book with them? Or what does a test look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think when we're vetting shows, look at a few different things. I think one being the other advertisers that have advertised there. And how often those advertisers have basically made a repeat buy. So kind of a directional sense of whether they think it's working. I think in a medium that is still relatively new as this, the most fruitful conversations I've had have been with other advertisers. So it's, it's kind of a small world and you can get a sense for... You can kind of know their measurement approach and how it's working. And so that can be a really good guide just generally to vet a show. I think right now, basically, the main metric there is, is number of downloads, which feels... It's sort of the metric that's available, but doesn't feel fully accurate because I think as any podcast listener knows, what you, whether you've downloaded something doesn't mean you've listened to it. And whether you've listened to it doesn't mean you've downloaded it. So it's a good proxy, but it by no means is fully accurate. But it will, it will can gener- it generally tells you like the, the rough size of a show. We am primarily buying a mid-roll, one mid-roll ad that's probably 60 seconds, ideally a little longer if hosts go over with a really good endorsement. And giving that realistically, it's like a three month test with one ad a month. So sort of one week on, quote unquote, and three weeks off, and then another, another test. And you can usually get a sense actually after like two drops. But I think having a a two month test is realistic because you see so much of a long tail of people redeeming off the offer. And in terms of tracking results, how once you are, you know, you've got this campaign in place, how are you tracking the results from that campaign to see if it's been successful? We uh, use a vanity URL. So grove.co slash the show name and are tracking like direct checkouts from that. And it actually has worked. And I've done that previously as well. And I think personally, when I started podcast advertising, I was surprised how many people actually do go to the URL, but they really do. So that is our main metric. And then we have a post-checkout survey asking people how they heard about us and anyone, and they can select from a variety of channels. And we use people that select podcasts there to sort of inform a multiplier. Because uh, we realize that, well, some people are definitely going to the direct vanity URL. Not everybody is. And so there's for sure people that are going directly to the site or to search us in Google that we're not capturing if we're just looking at the vanity URL checkouts. That's great. And what percentage of your customers would you say fill out that checkout survey? It varies. Honestly, ours, the completion rate is a little low right now. 
So we're probably only at like, we're at like 30%. Okay. But I really like that tactic because I've talked to advertisers who will just use that, you know, like, how did you hear about us? And certainly we've all been customers on, um, you know, sites where they won't let you place your buy unless you tell them how you heard about them. But I like your tactic because really having those two approaches of the vanity URL plus the survey gives you some idea and then you are able to come up with some sort of a multiplier. So you're not just looking at how many people are coming to, you know, use that, that vanity URL, but you've got, you know, a bigger sense because like you said, like, it's good to see that a lot of people do use the vanity URLs, but of course there are lots of people who don't as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we have a low completion rate on that survey. So we do also view it as directional, but because it's after the fact and it's not required. And so I think there's so many things to consider where it's like absolutely important to have. And I think as measurement tactics mature and get more complex, it's important to make sure that's an optimized place on the site. But you ultimately don't want to do that at the cost of prohibiting someone to check out, in my personal opinion. So you end up with a lot of interesting internal conversations with product teams. Yes, for sure. Have you experimented with any of the new like attribution tracking sites and things that are out there for podcast advertising? I have. I previously worked at Third Love and we internally built out a mixed media model. And that was really interesting, particularly when it came to podcast and, and the audio space. But I haven't used any of like the specialized services. Okay, great. Did you feel like with your experience at Third Love that you were able to see maybe higher attribution than was being attributed to those vanity URLs or was that not not necessarily the case? Yeah, it was. I think it's good. I think there's always, I mean, I think with a multiplier, it's good to have, you know, to generally be a little bit on the conservative side because the industry standard can, you know, be it quite a range. And so I think it's healthy to have some skepticism and be a little conservative until you have a good, you know, a good way to validate what that multiplier is. And it was really encouraging when we went through the MM model exercise to have it validate that the multiplier was, if anything, was too conservative. And I think that was really encouraging, especially when thinking about not just a first-time customer, which the offer is always generally always available just to a first-time customer, but you obviously are probably reaching a lot of existing customers as well. And just thinking about how that exposure impacts an existing customer, even if they can't redeem the offer, that's something you're never going to be able to accurately track via any of the other standard methods. So that was really enlightening. That is really interesting because I think that that's something that gets so overlooked because podcast has fallen so heavily into the direct response arena. You know, so many advertisers are not looking at it to be a branding vehicle, but yet you still are reaching thousands of your current customers, I'm sure. And that I don't think that that's something that's talked about enough of what that does for your just overall brand lift, maybe in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's very hard to actually track. So, but it it absolutely, I mean, the targeting here is broad and wide and I think is a good conversation for all companies to be having internally, because especially with just thinking of the consumer behavior, you know, you have shows that you love and you listen to and maybe you redeem that offer and then you keep listening to that show or, you know, you, you don't know who you're reaching. And so I think thinking of that existing customer is important, even if it's not the primary focus. So obviously we've talked about a lot of the successes, but also some of the challenges with podcast advertising in your mind, from your, your perspective, is there one big challenge to podcast advertising that you think maybe holds some companies back from entering the space? I think, you know, tracking 
ultimately the measurement of the, the the upper funnel is the hardest thing. I know we just talked about that. The other thing I'd say is creative testing can be difficult because you have so many variables at once and the listener behavior is very and just customer behavior is so different on that channel than any other. For most ads, once they're out there, they're out there. And so you can, it can be hard to test. That is a really good point. So how have you approached creative? Because I do, I I really believe that podcast ads are most successful when the host really resonates with the product and when they are able to do a quality ad read that is full of enthusiasm, authenticity, but still hits all the important talking points. So how do you how do you handle that since every host is going to be different, maybe have a different personality or different spin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we we're in the process of testing a lot of shows and scaling right now. And so this is very top of mind. So I think first and foremost, to test a show, just to see if it will work for you, you need to go with your tried and true creative that has worked uh, across other shows until you can get a read for whether that show is or is not a fit for you. And then from there, kind of have a proxy group of small shows where you've seen consistent performance, you know kind of what to expect from them and test a new creative or a new offer on that subset of shows while the rest of, again, kind of a portfolio approach. The rest of the portfolio is running, you know, business as usual with sort of your creative and offer before like rolling out a huge change. I think that generally has been what's best for us because we have a blanket offer rather than like curating the offer to the host. Um, I think totally agree with you when it comes to the actual endorsement. And like for us, we carry a wide variety of products, which products they choose to highlight and talk to. Hopefully we'll just come through, you know, their experience in terms of what they've ordered. But we do really try to to hit home that, of course, to personalize it and hoping that the breadth of our product offering comes through in that endorsement. Great, great. Thanks for that. So in your opinion, are there certain types of businesses? It's it's nice that you've been at a couple of different companies that have used podcast advertising. Are there certain companies that you think really have a chance of succeeding more with podcast ads than maybe others do? As long as the like host can genuinely connect with the company or the product. Um, I think that quality connection is important. I definitely think that there are a lot of advertisers that it seems like it's a lot of D2C advertisers, of course, historically, that have been the ones to advertise on podcasts. So it can feel like, you know, if you're not D2C, then you haven't been able to before. But I think the landscape is vastly changing. So I think as long as it's authentic and rings true, it's anyone could be a fit. Great. If you were to leave your current position and go to a new company that was not doing podcast advertising, do you feel like you would recommend that they start doing podcast ads? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, especially because it's changing so fast, it feels like there's more urgency to get in the door. And I firmly believe in the channel and kind of the quality of customers that it brings in. And so I'm very bullish about podcasts. Excellent. That's great to hear. Well, Julie, thank you so much for being on the program today. I really appreciate your perspective and your expertise, and I am sure our listeners will as well. So have a terrific day and we will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. It was great to have Julie on the show today and get her perspective on how Grove Collaborative has been able to use podcast advertising to be a successful marketing channel for their company. 
We wanted to go through the episode and pull out just a few of the bits of information that Julie had covered to make it just a little more digestible for you, give you some ideas on how you can take her input and apply that to your ad buying. First, they were looking to diversify their marketing spend from paid social and traditional influencer marketing. Podcast advertising, they found, was a natural extension of the influencer strategy that they already had in place. Working with host endorsements and organic testimonials on podcasts has been effective. Next, they found that it was important to have consistent communication between the team that is running influencer marketing and the team running podcast advertising. A lot of the same talking points and campaign tactics can be shared across both channels. There are a lot of similarities between the host personality types and influencers that can work across both areas as the influencer landscape grows. Sometimes digital influencers have their own podcast, which is a nice, fruitful place to experiment. Next, they found that 80% of their spend should be focused on their core proven shows, and those are usually mid to smaller size shows with a dedicated following. They have found that these podcasts continue to drive consistent performance. 20% of their portfolio are test shows, varying in size. Generally, larger shows kind of fall into this category until they prove themselves. The landscape has grown and is getting crowded and a bit more pricey, so they are working to be very thoughtful on how they're scaling their podcast ad buying. They have found that by reviewing other advertisers who buy ads in this space and seeing how often they repeat their buys, they're able to really get some more information. They connect with these advertisers to hear their feedback, which is a good guide to use on how to see if that particular show is working. And then finally, they're tracking with a vanity URL. They track direct checkouts from that vanity URL, as well as using an optional post-checkout survey asking the customer how they found out about the company. They list a variety of channels, including podcasts. They also use this on their regular website to make sure that they're tracking organic traffic from people who haven't used the vanity URL but heard about them from a podcast. They've found that about 30% of their customers fill out this form. I hope that this information has been useful for you. I hope you got a ton out of today's podcast. We thank Julie and Grove Collaborative for being on the show, and I hope that you will take this information and apply it to your next podcast ad campaign. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.